Good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Scott. It's good to be with you today on this first Sunday of the new year. And as uh, we're getting ready for this, would you turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 20? Either in your Bibles or on your devices, whatever you have with you, turn to 2 Kings chapter 20. Now today we're going to be talking about prayer, and it brings to mind a story about a little boy who had been sent to his room because he had been bad. And after a short time, he came out and he said to his mom, I've been thinking about what I did, and I said a prayer. And she said, that's good. If you pray, God will help you to be good. And he said, oh, I didn't ask God to help me be good. I asked him to help you put up with me. <laughs> well, if you read the Bible in its entirety, which I encourage you to do, you're going to find some prayers that may seem a little bit obscure. Sometimes they're hidden in the middle of a story or an unusual event. Uh, somewhere in the Bible, and we find people of God crying out to him in prayer. And we see through these prayers the mighty power of God. And through these people, we see that prayer really does make a difference. Their prayers are reminders to us, to you and to me, that our God is a powerful God and that he is a God who answers prayer. If we really want God's power to move in our lives, then we should engage in prayer directed to our great and awesome God. Today we're going to look at the example of a prayer recorded in the Bible that made a very big difference. We're going to look at the story of King Hezekiah. Now, how many of you, you may be embarrassed to raise your hand at this, but how many of you were ever fooled into looking for a verse in First or Second Hezekiah? Doesn't exist, does it? I see those hands. But even though he's kind of given this bum rap, he really was a great king. Hezekiah was the king of Judah for 29 years, and Judah was one of the two kingdoms that split uh, from the kingdom of Israel after Solomon died. And he was the king of Judah from 716 to 687 B.C. Did you know that there is more space devoted in the Bible to, almost, uh, to him than to almost any other king since the time of Solomon? You can also read parallel accounts of Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles chapters 29 through 32 and also in Isaiah 36 through 39. And by reading these three different accounts, you'll get a better idea of who this man was and what his life was about. The Bible says that of all the kings that descended from David, Hezekiah was the greatest. Now, you don't have to turn there. It's going to be on the screen behind me. But in 2 Kings chapter 18, beginning at verse 5 and reading through the beginning of verse 7, it says, He, speaking of Hezekiah, trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he stayed with the Lord and departed not from following him. He kept the commandments which the Lord commanded to Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered wherever he went. Hezekiah was a great man in many respects. He was a great political leader. He delivered Judah from the chaos of the reign of his father, King Ahaz. He was also a great builder. And the aqueduct that he had built brought water into Jerusalem. And you can still see that aqueduct today, several thousand years after it was built. He was a man of great letters, having gathered together much of the sacred writings in Psalms and Proverbs. 
And, but most of all, he was a great religious reformer, a mighty man of God. Uh, he had the courage to destroy the serpent that Moses made because the people had made an idol of it. Do you remember that story? This is from Numbers chapter 21. And the Israelites who have been wandering in the wilderness, being led by God and by Moses, had become impatient and were complaining against both God and Moses. And God judged them by sending venomous snakes. And many of the people died. But they repented after that. And God said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a stick and lift it up. And whoever looks on that snake will be healed and they will live. But now, these hundreds of years later, it's become an idol. And people are looking at this snake and worshiping it instead of looking to it and seeing the God who delivered them. So he destroyed that which had become an idol. Hezekiah also opened the doors of the house of God that had been closed by his wicked father. He also reinstituted the long-neglected feast of Passover, and it destroyed the high places where pagan idols were worshipped. So Hezekiah was a great king. But when you read about his life, you realize that he didn't just skate through life. It wasn't just all easy for him. I see four crises that he faced during his reign. The first was the crisis of choice. Early in his reign, he chose to forsake the idols of his fathers, and he tore them down and rebuilt the city of God. Second, he faced the crisis of invasion. The Assyrians came right to the walls of Jerusalem and threatened to enter it and destroy it. And had it not been for the power of prayer offered by Hezekiah, Jerusalem probably would have been conquered. Third, he faced the crisis of prosperity. I know some of you were looking at me and saying, please hit me with this crisis of prosperity. But foolishly, he displayed all of his personal wealth and his treasures of his kingdom and said, basically, look at me. Look how wealthy I am. Look how great I am. And it even caused his enemies to come and look. Finally, at the very height of his power, when he was only 39 years old, when the nation was surrounded by the armies of Assyria, a time when they needed this king's leadership the most, he is sick in bed with a severely infected boil. Today we're going to see that God sent the prophet Isaiah to Hezekiah with a message, and Isaiah was prepared to be the bearer of bad news. This news that Isaiah brought Hezekiah was the news of his impending death. Hezekiah is faced with that most personal crisis of all, the crisis of death. Wow, really, Pastor Scott, the first Sunday of the year and you're talking to us about death? Well, let's take a little bit more of a lighthearted look for just a moment. This past week I found some uh, epitaphs on tombstones, and I want to share some of these with you. The first is Rodney Dangerfield. Remember this comedian, the guy with the big bulging eyes, and he'd grab his tie and he'd say, I don't get no respect. His tombstone says, there goes the neighborhood. (laughs) Or how about Mel Blanc? He's known as the man of a thousand voices. The one that you probably remember the most is Porky Pig. His tombstone says, that's all, folks. Or how about this one? Ludolf Van Sulen. You all know who he is, right? He's the guy, the mathematician, who was the first person to calculate uh, the value of pi to 35 decimal places. And his tombstone reads, 
Wouldn't you love to have that on your tombstone someday? Well, here's one that's not so famous, but it's to the point. It says, I told you I was sick. Or here's another one. This is my favorite one. She always said her feet were killing her, but nobody believed her. And here's one more. This is Merv Griffin, the popular TV show host. And his tombstone says, I will not be right back after this message. I think it's time for me to get back to my message now. So what message of encouragement can we find from the way Hezekiah faced death? If you have your Bibles open, we're going to be reading the first seven verses of 2 Kings chapter 20. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet sent the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, and he prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Bring a cake of figs and let him take and lay it on the boil that he may recover. So Hezekiah has become ill and he's at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet comes to him and says, this is what the Lord says. Basically, he's saying you don't need a doctor. You don't need to call your PCP and get a second opinion because this is what God has said. This is God's will. And the second part of the message comes and says, Set your house in order. You're going to die. You will not recover. So, in other words, get ready. Do whatever it is you need to do. Take care of what is undone business. Now, in our family, rumor has it that putting your name on a tag and placing it under or on an item that you want to inherit it, that's kind of like staking your claim. I learned this on my first trip to Grandma Dorothy's house after Cindy and I were married And I'm not sure how it happened, but somebody must have picked up a lamp and there was somebody's name stuck on the bottom of the lamp. Well, it was different for Hezekiah when it came to getting his house in order. When Isaiah said, get your house in order, he wasn't saying, write out your last will and testament. It literally meant, pick out the man who is going to succeed you to the throne before you die. Now, not many of us get that kind of notice when it comes to our death. The reality is that spiritually speaking, setting your house in order should be taken care of now and not right before your death, because we don't know when that's going to be. If everybody got notice of when they were going to die, they would probably wait until a month or maybe a year before then and then start getting their house in order. The Bible tells us that it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this comes judgment. 
So make sure that your life is in order now by receiving the salvation of Jesus Christ and don't wait. Now let's look at the motive of the prayer. So let's again read just verses 2 and 3 just to refresh our memory. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And notice those words, he turned his face to the wall and prayed. Sometimes we just read something and just kind of go right past it without thinking, what does this really mean? Because that does seem kind of strange, right? To turn to a wall and start praying. So I looked it up in some commentaries, and some of them said that uh, he was, in effect, turning towards the temple, like the temple was beyond that wall that he was facing, and it was symbolic. If he could have gotten out of bed and gone to the temple, that's where he would have gone to pray. Other commentaries suggest that because he couldn't retreat to his normal place of prayer to get alone with God, he did the next best thing, which was to turn towards a wall away from the people that were in the room so that he could communicate with God one-on-one as privately as possible. Because you have to realize that at that time there was at least Isaiah in the room, probably a handful of servants and probably his wife, and there may have been more people than that. So he was turning away for a private moment with God. Either way, in time of trouble, Hezekiah turned to the one that he needed to turn to, and that was God. That's a great example for us, isn't it? So many of us in times of trouble, we turn to other people to help us out or maybe to a thing. And many times people blame God for their trouble. But the very thing that we need to do is turn to God in our times of trouble, just as Hezekiah did. Now let's look at the prayer in verse 3. The motive behind Hezekiah's prayer was that he wanted to live. Now, there are a number of reasons maybe why he wanted to live, such as his family. We know from reading further on into the passage that he did not have a son at that point to inherit the throne. Maybe he was asking God to give him time to produce an heir and to raise him in order to have a future king. Or maybe it was because he was only 39 years old at the time, which is an awfully young age to die. But Hezekiah didn't use those reasons. Instead, he said, I'm too good to die. I've walked in the truth and I've done what is good in your sight. Now, some people speculate that he said this because he didn't have assurance of eternal life. I disagree with that. By reading about his life and the things that he did, I firmly believe that Hezekiah was a devout follower of God. But whatever the reason, his prayer was answered and he lived to have a son who, sad to say, would become the most evil ruler in Judah's history. And that leads itself to a little debate. Bible scholars have debated for years whether Hezekiah really should have prayed and asked for healing and for additional years to live, whether his recovery was part of God's perfect will or his permissive will, in other words, what God had planned or what God allowed. Sometimes God does answer prayer when the answer is not the best thing for us. Psalm 106.15 says, God gave them what they asked, but he sent a wasting disease among them. Those who feel that Hezekiah was wrong 
point out that the king's final 15 years involved his sinful alliance with the Babylonians, which is recorded later in the chapter, and also the birth of his son, Manasseh, as I said, who turned out to be Judah's most wicked king. Had Hezekiah died, perhaps Judah would have been spared the Babylonian compromise and obviously the evil reign of his son Manasseh. However, we should realize and and remember that Manasseh repented towards the end of his life and served the Lord. This is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. Let me just read a few verses to you. Therefore the Lord brought upon the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks, and bound him with chains of bronze, and brought him to Babylon. And when Manasseh was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty, and heard his plea, and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom." Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Now let me just take a little sidebar here. I think sometimes it takes being brought to the lowest point of somebody's life before they are willing to turn to God. Notice when Manasseh prayed that the Bible says he entreated the favor of the Lord his God. This was a very personal prayer. And also notice the passage ends by reading, Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Our salvation is not based on our goodness, but on our faith in God. Another example of this is the thief on the cross. Remember, he had lived a lifetime of wickedness that led up to his execution. But in his final hours, he turned to Jesus, incapable of doing anything good at that point, and asked for Jesus to save him. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, some commentators point out that Hezekiah had no heir to the throne when Isaiah gave the message of doom, so that maybe his prayer was not for himself alone, but he was thinking of the nation. Set your house in order literally means pick out a man to succeed you to the throne. God had promised that the nation of Judah would always have a descendant of David on the throne, and maybe Hezekiah was saying, God, Don't forget your promise. Let me read that promise to you from 1 Chronicles 17, 12. He, meaning David, shall build a house for me, which was the temple, and I, God, will establish his throne forever. All of Hezekiah's sons were born in the last 15 years of his life after God extended his life. And it's true that Manasseh was a godless king for much of his life, But he did repent, and Hezekiah's great-grandson, Josiah, was a great man of God. So it's true that if Hezekiah's life had not been extended for 15 years, there would have been no evil Manasseh, but there also would have been no godly Josiah. Furthermore, we have indications in the Bible that during Hezekiah's last 15 years of rule, he was busy with a group of people called the Men of Hezekiah, That's written in Proverbs 25.1. It's a group of scribes who were copying out the Old Testament scriptures and putting them in order for the people. As for Manasseh to say that a man should die rather than bring about a wicked son, I think that's claiming too much. And let's not forget that Manasseh did repent, and I'm positive because of that repentance that today he's in heaven. 
Also, most of David's sons were wicked, including Solomon at times. So using that same logic, why would God allow David to live and call David a man after his own heart? Does God slay a man because of the future sins of a child who's not even yet conceived? Of course not. Furthermore, the healing of the king and the deliverance of Judah happened at the same time. So would it have been to the glory of God to rescue the city and at the same time kill the king? Now, let's see that miraculous healing. So let's again pull out our Bibles and read verses 4 through 7. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, bring a cake of figs and let them take and lay it on the boil that he may recover. This prayer of the godly king was answered immediately. Isaiah had not gone out of the city. As a matter of fact, he hadn't even got out of that courtyard before God calls him back with a message to give to Hezekiah and says that he's going to be cured in three days and live an additional 15 years. And also that God would deliver him from the power of the Assyrians and defend Jerusalem. Now, Hezekiah may have based his plea on his past goodness, but God based his answer on Hezekiah's prayer and his tears. Now, if you're wondering like me, what about this cake of figs? That's kind of an interesting thing, right? What I pictured in my mind, which probably isn't anywhere near what it would have been like, he went down to the corner store and bought some fig newtons and mashed them up and then rubbed that on the boil. Well, it's not really a cake of figs. It's a poultice. And this was probably a well-known and useful remedy of that day to help with a severely infected boil. But it's important that we understand that the healing is not coming from the figs. The power came instead from the miracle and the healing of Hezekiah by the work of God. And with the healing came assurance that even as God was with Moses, he was going to be with Hezekiah. Now, what about the meaning of this postponement, the the additional 15 years that he's going to have before he dies? A person who has been confronted with death often has a greater understanding and appreciation of life. They realize how precious life is and how quickly it can be taken away. In October of 2018, Cindy had to rush me to the emergency room because of excruciating pain in my abdomen. And I promise you, I could tell you where every single pothole is between our house and St. Vincent's emergency room. I can also tell you that while morphine dulls pain for most people, it did the exact opposite for me. I found that out after the third dose. And after a day and a half of observation, I was operated on for adhesions and a small bowel obstruction. I was discharged from the hospital five days later and began a very long road to recovery. At first, I could only walk to our neighbor's driveway very slowly before having to return home completely exhausted. Several weeks later, I could walk to the end of the block. 
And even though we were seeing some progress, it was not very encouraging to me. I wondered if I would ever get back to normal or if this was going to be the new normal for the remainder of my life. Well, God was very gracious to me, and after about six to eight weeks, we saw some marked progress. I can actually walk around the block. Cindy has been a runner for over 40 years, and we both love going to Presque Isle. On Saturday mornings that following spring, we would go to Presque Isle where she would run four miles and I would walk one mile. And yes, it was in the same amount of time. But on one Saturday, I decided at my turnaround point to see if I could slowly jog back and how far I could do that. Well, I was surprised to find that I could jog the entire half mile back. I'm not going to bore you with all the details because it's taken a long time but I now regularly jog four or more miles five days a week, and I've lost over 60 pounds. I believe that God has extended my life just like we saw that he did for Hezekiah. God chose to give Hezekiah 15 more years, and God changed his mind, which he has the right to do because he's God. The question is why, and I believe the reason why God changed his mind is the same reason God does anything. For his glory. By now, we should realize that nothing is too hard, too big, or impossible for God. The question is do we really believe that? We have to remember that God is Elohim, which means he is a mighty God. Another name for him is Yahweh, which means he he is the one who was, who is, and who will be. With God, all things are possible. When we pray, God sees our hearts. And he hears our prayers, and he acts according to his will. Why did God spare Hezekiah's life? Why did he give him 15 more years? To me, the answer is simple. God was not done with Hezekiah yet. And you know what? If you're sitting here today, God is not done with you yet. He is not done with our church yet. This morning, we've looked at surrendering our days and our life to God. And friends, listen to me. You may not... You have not finished your work until God takes you home. Until God decides to take you home, you need to set the example and surrender your time and be the light in a dark world. Empty nesters, retired people, there is no such thing as spiritual retirement. Find what God has for you and use your time wisely. Those who are working or raising a family... Don't postpone serving God until the kids are grown or you retire. Your future is not guaranteed. Young people, don't think you can't do anything important for God until you finish school. Decide that you're going to live for God today and don't wait. Three other things that I believe that we can take from this story. The first one is that Hezekiah, in a sense, prayed for God to protect him from dying And at that moment, God answered the prayer by adding 15 years to his life. Now, I'm not saying that we need to pray to God for protection from death, because someday it's going to happen to all of us. However, we can learn from Hezekiah when it comes to praying for protection for our life and for this church. It's more important to pray for protection from temptation and from sin. The second thing we can learn is that we need to make the most of whatever time God has given us. Don't be a spiritual procrastinator. Use your gifts, your talents, and your time to honor God and to bring more people into his kingdom. 
The third thing that we can learn is that we need to have our life in order now. Take care of business now by making Jesus the Savior of your life and let your heart become Jesus' home. Someone once said that the wise person prepares for the inevitable. Well, what's more, more inevitable than death? Prepare now. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Is the point to ask for more days, or is it to make the most of the days that you've been given? And how can we make the most of our days? Well, far too often, we think the answer is just to try harder. But when we do that, we are relying on our own strength and not God's. This week, I heard about the result of a study conducted by the Center for Bible Engagement. It concluded that if you don't read your Bible four or more times a week, you won't make any significant choices or changes any different than someone who doesn't read the Bible at all. Now, is that saying that reading your Bible three times a week is a waste of time? Of course not. But your decision-making probably won't be any different from a person who doesn't read the Bible or read it often. The study also found that if you read your Bible four or more times a week, your propensity to view pornography drops 61%. Your propensity towards substance abuse drops 57%. Your propensity to gamble drops 74%. And get this, even your propensity towards obesity will drop 20%. So add that to your dieting tips for the year. The study also found by reading your Bible four or more times a week, that you will have a 228% greater chance of sharing your faith. A 231% greater chance of discipling other people. And a 407% greater chance of memorizing scripture. Sounds like we should all make it our daily habit to be reading God's word. And as I shared with you last week, we have several Bible reading plans that are available to you at the information desk. And if you're watching this service online today and can't get to the information desk, send me an email this week or call me, and I will either email or mail one of those Bible reading plans to you. Or here's another idea. Download the YouVersion app. That's Y-O-U, not just a U. And put that on your smartphone. They have dozens of choices of Bible reading plans. And it would be very good for you to choose one of those and begin reading now. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story. It's not just a story with, uh, with a happy ending. It's a story that really happened to a real person. Somebody who was told that their time was done... And yet, when they pleaded with you for more time, not just for enjoyment or for entertainment, but time to live for you and to do great things for you, you granted that prayer request. Today, God, we're not necessarily asking you for more time as much as we are asking you to help us to make the most of our time. We know that's your will. And so you will grant that request if we pray it. We would love to see our propensity towards sin dropping and our propensity towards sharing the gospel and discipling other people and memorizing your word increase dramatically. And so we commit ourselves to reading and meditating on your word. 
Father, thank you for this great story of this great man. And I thank you, Lord, even for the story of his son, who even though he was wicked, you you chose to redeem him at the end of his life. Thank you for that hope. In Jesus' name, amen.